right. Would you mind if we bring in a little sweet tea, Kelly? Is that okay with you? Are you I'm feeling it so today? Excited for some sweet tea. I'm in Texas, so sweet tea is totally our thing. Okay, perfect. so what am I talking about? <laughs> Are we? But looking... I, want, I want their kind of sweet tea, though. Mine mm, is no, you don't. You're not ready. She's never ready. <laughs> I need um, to get my inner self. All right, all right. I do want to introduce and say hello because we've been watching this character, Lola, just light up season two and season three. Um, and now we have Shakina. How are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Um, we you are know, so excited to have you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, we would love to hear like stories from on set and just like where you were before as far as your career and then when you got into this show and sort of what you did with the role you know um yeah sort of, sort of a lot to go off of i wanted to start off the show actually because the reason we even started to talk to you was you had posted on instagram this fantastic photo of you yeah. um, and your cast <laughs> yeah gabri and derek yeah uh-huh nate and denise on the show obviously That's right i guess you guys were in los angeles at the beverly center talk about that photo uh coming together <laughs> and and the, i yeah. thought the caption was very sweet shakina oh well thank you you know i um i just adore both uh gabri and derek baskin um they were really my work family on set. And this was my first TV job. You would ask about my career beforehand. This is what really broke me into TV. And I had no idea what I was doing when I first got the job. I was so terrified. And um, Gabby and Derek were just like rocks for me. Gabby kept everything lighthearted. Um, Derek was, just kept like blowing up my spot, telling me like, oh, I'm doing so funny. Uh, like everyone's laughing at my jokes. Like, you know, you just don't know what's really happening when you're when you're like thrust onto set with these like comedic geniuses. So um, yeah, we keep in touch. And I was out in LA over the winter and we just, uh, I went over, I, I went over to Gabby's house and we did water aerobics together. And then I sent a picture to Derek and Julie and Derek was like, I'm in LA. And so we decided to do a brunch. So, oh, yeah. good. Awesome. I, yeah, I was super cute. I tell Kelly all the time, I relate to what you were saying in, in, in such a way. Um, obviously, you you got uh, casted in a role, but even like I tell Kelly, and it's the one time I'm a bit insecure. Usually, I'm a jerk on this show. Usually, I'm very selfish. I'm very Marilyn. But on this show, the one thing, and Kelly, you could agree, I'm always talking about how nervous I am to break down this show because it is just some of the titans of the industry. And whether Seriously. you saw it then or you're starting to see it now, I mean, you went on to do Transparent, the movie, which I watched where you did the musical. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then there was an, the NBC show you did after as well. So yeah, connecting. What a fantastic time to know that this show was, I, I guess, a cult following. But then how would you define Definitely. the show? I mean, ahead of its time, basically. You know, we we were Hulu's first original comedy. Um you know, they, Hulu went on to make this little show called Handmaid's Tale. Maybe you heard about it. Um, <laughs> but before they were that epic and international, you know, they were doing these niche New York stand-up jokes, you know, that um, that Julie and her team were coming up with. And the humor in our show and the, like, cultural critique in our show was just so much more brazen than anything else that was on the air at the time. And even still, really, you know, um, we were the first people to call out Kevin Spacey, like way before Kevin Spacey had his reckoning. 
Um, and then actually in this episode in Sweet Pea, you know, I get um, a really good dig at Dave Chappelle, which I, you know, asked them if I could add that line um, where I say that trans women are, aren't all out here trying to tr trick Dave Chappelle into mm. fucking us. And I had to like approach Julie and Scott King, the showrunner, and be like, hey, I really want to say this. Can I please mm. punch back up at Dave Chappelle because he's been punching down on us? Well, yes. You know, kind of thing. That's like, it was a big deal. Yeah, um, you were a writing consultant on the show. Did I get that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get to kind of put things in and, and they, they could kind of work with it. And a lot of these ideas do come from you, come from your story or things you've seen. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I did at the beginning of each season was I wrote like a dossier that I gave to Julie and the team that was like, here are all the hot button issues in like trans culture that I would love to be able to comment on. Um, and then we would find ways to work them into the jokes. But, you know, like um, <laughs> like back in um, season two with the whole like fuck you Marcy moment that became such like a viral sensation. <laughs> the, the, the original line, you know, um, uh, Kristen just, she sort of gestures to me and says like, oh, you know, I work down at the women's shelter. So I'm like accustomed to working with sex workers. And my original line was like, just cause I'm trans, you think I'm a sex worker? And which I still say in the show, but I said yeah. to Julie and I was like, can I please just say, fuck you, Marcy? Because <laughs> like, that's what I wanted to say, you know? Um, and so we added that. And then that whole scene just spilled out from that improvisation. Like uh, there were none of that, none of that was written, what you see, you know, on the show. And uh, well, that. so, yeah, we, and we all had a lot of freedom to do that because again, these were, these are like Titans, Cola Cola is one of like the funniest people mm. ever grace the planet. And so you just, yeah, you write a script, but then you just let Cole go, you know, and see what happens. Um. Wow, 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 wow is all I got because it is that good. I came up with this idea. I said, Kelly, nobody has done a recap on this show. And I did, again, feel so like, I. why are we the ones? Granted, me and Kelly have known each other since we were like 23 years old, 2004. Um, and Stop granted, me. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I know you look like you're 31. Um, your beautiful skin. No, but we we kind of said, you know what? If we're going to do this show, let's just keep it funky. And there's been a lot of times, Shakina, on this show where I've had to call out my, my career was radio um, you know and I had to call out all the things that just made me so pissed off and I feel like we're in a world now where everyone on social media is like Gary V like it's all positive all the damn time no <laughs> bitch yeah <laughs> yeah no. no it's a rough time it's I a rough should moment. be the motivational speaker you hear me <laughs> <laughs> well, and we watched this show when it first aired like Ronnie introduced it to me he had seen like the first two episodes and so we started watching it and we were talking about recapping it way back when and mm. when you know recaps were very very new but yeah. it just didn't come together but I feel like re-watching the series now is still so relevant even more so than it was then which I would just I, I wish we could get some sort of reunion or something A to movie. see how these characters would talk about the world today it would just be so amazing I I yeah, I, I, I talk to Julie about it all the time. We all want to have some kind of reboot or reunion or something. Um, um, yeah, the characters are so strong and wonderful. Um, yeah. Let's get into Sweet Tea. Uh, what was interesting is we made contact with you a little bit ago, but this was the show for you to come in because Lola, up until this point, she's had a, a bunch of you know one-liners, um, 
some were not necessarily acceptable things to say. <laughs> but right. we're getting to know Lola. We're getting to know her. We're getting to know what we love about her, where she steps in it, all the stuff. But then this is an episode she's anchoring for the most part because it really is about her life. How do you describe Sweet Tea? How do you describe the episode? Gosh, I mean, it is the it's the magical realism episode. It's the episode where we get to look into the psychic minds of all the lead characters. And it's also a bit of the jump of the shark, the, excuse me, jump the shark episode. <laughs> um, because we really just go farther than we've ever gone before with like the hysteria and the mania because of this ayahuasca trip. So um, I just love that we get to, you know, see a, a totally different side of the show altogether because it like it, difficult people always taking these kind of flights of fancy that are just a little heightened and a little like bizarre and out of the ordinary but then when you put those characters on a drug trip it's just like out of this world yeah um we're gonna do uh sweet tea the uh the um the the breakdown here i just wanted to say we are brought to you by real quickly viridian row uh creativity never goes out of style if you want to get one of their quote t-shirts you can do that viridianrow.com and by the way there is a difficult people inspired t-shirt it's uh yeah. something that billy said on episode one something about being miserable but then again he <laughs> says something about being miserable on every episode nonetheless make sure you check them out viridianrow.com because they are the reason we get to do our little show Yay. here um Kelly, take us away with uh, today's recap. Well, I love how the episode opens with stealing shoes at the bowling alley, because I, for one, never thought to do that and would never <laughs> wear good shoes to the bowling alley. But I'm like rethinking my life choices because that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that pretentious bowling alley, I think there was the bowling alley in Red Hook that had that just that whole thing. And they make fun of it so much. These are things that people need to call out. And I thought that was actually really fun. Well, uh, the millennial, what did they call her? The millennial. Um, Velma. A Velma. Yes. Velma. Style pins. And it's it's so funny because it's even, I feel like it's even more um, like that in today's society. Like everything has that, you know, a dork ability and all these little keywords and punch words. And they were just so on point with like hitting those keys. And I mean, who gets Louis Vuitton heels at the bowling alley? I want to go to that bowling alley. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, when you have enough uh, bad breaks as Julie, I guess you just have to come up with things that, you know, will offset it. Absolutely. I related to Julie a lot, I guess a lot of them, but really the fact that she was coming to that point, and I guess in all of our careers, um, where you have to pull back and you're like, am I still supposed to pursue this? That really gave me a little bit of chills, you know. Um, here I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm only getting older <laughs> and the metabolism is not good either. Um and I'm like, but I still love what I want to do. And I still love my craft. So the through line with seeing Julie being that vulnerable um, really made me happy. She, she, the Julie Kessler character does tend to be the selfish character. And then when I get to see so much about like, but this is why, this is why had she booked something early, she could have been, you know, one of these younger, you know, talents that made it, but sometimes it's so beautiful and so rich to go through it. And, and uh, as they say, it's greater later, you know? Yeah, what I love about, I, I don't want to jump ahead of the Etsy story, but what I love about about that arc in this episode is that Julie's character actually finds a lot of happiness in um, making these little dream baggies and Etsy scams and starts crafting and realizes <laughs> that like maybe she could just be happy crafting. But, um, but then of course she has this ayahuasca trip and decides that she'd rather be miserable and struggling than happy and crafting, which I think... <laughs> So many of us 
um, who pursue this life, you know, like we look at other things that are like, we, we could potentially be content, but we'd never be fulfilled, you know? Yeah. And so we keep striving, keep struggling, stay exactly. miserable. <laughs> yeah. We, it's the only thing we know more naturally <laughs> is just to be miserable and complain about the yeah. train, complain about the small apartments, right. but it's like, it's like, we love it. You know, I remember my first Harlem apartment was i mean kelly seen it it was tiny i mean it I was like a, a picture of us like smashed in the kitchen yeah together. it looked like we were in love but she you know i don't swing that way you know but it was like <laughs> oh look at ronnie and kelly they're in love i'm like no we we just we have nowhere else to sit our legs are yeah. intertwined because this is the size of the room <laughs> uh, i'm still in one of those home apartments so i get it <laughs> oh okay there you go well, Uptown. Nothing, yes, I mean, yes. nothing beats new york and it's and, and watching them kind of struggle with that and Julie's whole epiphany that she's having and yeah, she can sit here and she can craft and she can do these things. I think each one of us has kind of like sat and thought about, you know, the, the grass being greener on the other side. And can I accept that? And watching her struggle with that and during her trip kind of have that fight with herself and looking yeah, at herself literally. and strangling that happy bitch. It's like, no, no, I can't give up on what is me. And sometimes yeah. it's, you know, deeper than just being, you know, happy and, in general yeah. to get this deeper sense of who you are and be yourself and it's so right. like you feel like it's almost like maybe this movie she made years ago might be the one that gets her yeah. and you know, no <laughs> with her bag of bread <laughs> no yeah i love the way she told arthur it's starting now oh but still go get me the bread <laughs> yeah 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 and it's like a bag of buns <laughs> that is a slap in the face to yourself or your ego though when you are holding on to something, I think I've done that in my career. We all do that where you hold on to something and you kind of use it as an excuse. And then what an overwhelming feeling where she was like, maybe I'm not that good. That's why I give credit to anybody who still pursues things this late in life. Or This is not late in life, but, you know, the industry is very young. I couldn't even imagine sure. for for a woman. I mean, it's even men. We at least get a little little, you know, they don't. King, King, what was it? King of Queens, you know, Kevin James and Leah Remini. It's always the hot young thing. And the, you know, yeah. the, the funny fat guy, but women just have to be in such a, a small lane. And um, that is what endeared me to Julie this episode. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like true for, for Julie Klausner and the character she plays in the show for like the whole arc is this idea that like, why should a woman in her 30s like feel like she has to crawl over mountains of dead bodies in order to get a fucking audition you know um so yeah it's it's so real and you know and then also you know julie like listen they they are mean to a lot of people on this show but julie always takes punches at herself first and that's what i love about her comedy um is that all these absurdities about her character are just things that she's like willing to acknowledge, you know, eating chocolate bars from the trash can, you know, things like that. It's like, th that's Julie telling you what, <laughs> who she is, you know? Yeah. She, um, she, she, uh, I, I know that when we re recap this, we always have to make sure we say Julie, uh, Kessler, Klausner not Julie Klausner. Yeah. Billy yeah. Epstein is a jerk, not Billy, <laughs> not Billy yeah. Eichner, because it is like, you know, this different world and they just punch to the to these extremes. Um, one thing that I also thought was interesting on, I think, episode one, even it was how lonely it can be 
because at this point it's just the two of them that are best friends but anyone they went to comedy you know when, when they were at ucb or whatever they all succeeded or were hosting the oscars or all the other schlubs moved you know to a yeah. nice home in the suburbs right, and um it, uh, say it again Oh, in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you feel so isolated. I I, I know that I'll look up sometimes and I'm like, am I the only one still doing this? As far as like, I haven't, and I've had peaks and valleys of yeah. success. We all have, but you get so mad, you get very lonely in this show. Well, I'm going to get all emotional, but this show was like a best friend in, in that way, because it allowed me, I think when the show aired, I was around 36, now I'm 41. Um, and it allowed me to have a little visual of like, Oh my gosh, I don't feel so alone in this. Is it time yeah. to give up? Go move to Jersey. Ugh, I can never. <laughs> um, or, or you're waiting for a big break. Like, what do you do? It is really, um, it's really scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that show spoke to, I mean, that's why we have the cult audiences because actually a lot of people identified with this, just the frustration, you know, of living in New York and trying to be an artist and, trying to stay chipper when you just want to punch people in the face. You know, it was like really a vibe that people got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the relatability is really amazing. And just knowing that, you know, they're putting everything out so forward facing, which I love so much because it's things that a lot of people think and really don't say. And, you know, showing that you can be your true self and, you know, it's not always going to work out. Sometimes it does, but you can find people that will be in your corner and that will still let you be you. And I love that so much about the show, because no matter how selfish they can be, no matter how crappy we can watch Julie be to Arthur and all of that, you see the goodness come out when, you know, the realization comes. Because sometimes, especially in the entertainment business, you get a little too focused on yourself because that's your job you have yeah. to focus on yourself and that can kind of get lost. So to watch them do that, even in their friendships and their relationships with their family. I mean, in Marilyn's trip, it was all Marilyn all the time. And what, you know, yeah. we're just interacting with herself. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So Andrea amazing. Martin, such a genius. <laughs> oh, she's such fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's she's so a... funny. Yeah. Uh, go oh, no, go, go on about Andrea. Oh, just that she's just, you know, like I said, Titans. I mean, she's just so incredible. Broadway star, TV film star, you know, so iconic. And um, getting to watch her work, you know, she was at the same time we were shooting this, she was um, playing Dottie in Noises Off on Broadway. So she was in a Broadway show, eight shows mm. a week, uh, leading the show, in fact. Wow. And, um, you know, high, high uh, camp farce humor uh and she would come in like literally to shoot between the matinee and the evening like she wow. would come in for two hours and just get something done and then go back to work it was just awesome to watch oh her delivery is so amazing the way that those insults come so sweet and monotone and just yeah like, they get you sometimes you have to go wait what did she say yeah, yeah that is like totally. the my my daughter doesn't have impulse control problems because of this my daughter has these problems because of this i mean yeah. she's so much and she's so judgmental the one that i always say shakina is when she's talking to her friends and she's trying to kind of one-up each other and she says oh well my daughter's in comedy that's why i don't have any grandchildren you gotta laugh <laughs> i mean it's so funny to me and it's like is it her she's selling that you know yeah, i mean no for sure, for sure. And um, it's so Jewish, but it's also just, it's so, I don't know, mother, 
you know it's like italian yeah. mom greek mom like it's just it's just yeah like terrible mom you know she's got <laughs> that down she's got yeah. that down in a couple episodes you do get to see them bonding i think like with the birthday episode you yeah. know marilyn always had julie's best interest in in, in heart right she just had a funny way of showing it um well, she also deprives herself you know you in the in this episode how she's like I deserve a lemon wedge. Wait, I'm going to write something first and then I'll get a lemon wedge. I should reward myself with an ice cube. And you just see like, she is a narcissist, but she's also literally starving herself. So, it's, yeah. you know, you see how she like creates her own hysteria and drama. Um, talk to me about this scene um, as far as even everything, like who's casted with you? Icons. Did you Icons. Yeah, did you have contribution in in putting out some names and just even what this scene felt like and even set it up to what the scene was? Yeah. This was Lola's big moment, really. Yeah, yeah. So Lola um, has an anniversary party with her sisterhood of women that she went through gender confirmation with together. And she uh, invites them to New York City to do ayahuasca. But then her coworkers at the cafe end up drinking the tea that she's made with the ayahuasca. And she ends up having to cancel her plans with her ladies. And instead they all stick around and babysit um, the rest of the cast while they go on an ayahuasca trip. That's basically the, the concept of sweet tea. And the, one of the reasons why this all came into play was I, um, you know, as I mentioned, like wrote these sort of like, here's all the things I'd love to do with my character in the season kind of uh, statements at the beginning when they were writing for season three. And I said, one of the things I'd really love to do is bring on more trans people onto the show, more trans women, and like show that it's not just me. You know, the character of Lola was like the first trans character on TV that wasn't like sympathetic and tragic and dealing with coming out or getting trans bashed or, you know, arrested for sex work. It was like, she's right. just as terrible as everyone else on the show. And that in itself was revolutionary. And then when it's like, okay, well actually now here's four trans women you know, including two trans women of color, like in in the sort of central through line of an episode. I mean, it just w was, it was absolutely revolutionary. And that's um, Anish Seth, who a lot of people might know from uh, uh, Jessica Jones. And then um, Justin Vivian Bond there in the red, who is an iconic cabaret star. Mm -hmm. And then my friend Keita Updike, uh, who is right behind me over my shoulder there. And she's actually like an incredible fashion model. Um, and those three women are all brilliant in their own regard. And, you know, uh, I was so grateful that um, Hulu agreed to, you know, have a whole mini trans ensemble for one episode. It was really cool. It was fantastic, Lola, in, in every... Uh you know, position here on season two and three, you know, like I said, you would have moments where you were like, oh shit, you're almost mad at Lola because she's stepping in it. She's saying stuff. She would say this thing and I hope I don't get it <laughs> said incorrectly, yeah. but it would be something like, I could do this because I, I used to be one. I used to, I could do this because oh. I used to have one. But then, hold on, she goes on to say something, something I could blankety blank because I, wait, oh no. And it was yeah. because she was making fun of something yeah. you really should not touch. I don't, I'm not going to say the word, but yeah. Yeah. It on. was a big deal. I mean, yeah. So she's, she's always trying to say that she can get away with things because she's trans and she can play this card and say these mm. terrible things. And then she says the R word and is like, Oh, I can say that because I'm trans and everyone's just looking at her. And it's like, Oh no, that one you can't. Um, and yeah. And she also, yeah, she tells dick jokes. I mean, these are not the, 
respectability politics of the trans movement. You know what I mean? She is not an admirable trans character. She's not like, you know, an after school special lesson for the family. She's really terrible. Um, but she also doesn't take any shit and she stands up to, you know, like cis het patriarchy wherever she sees it, even places she imagines she's seeing it when it's not really there. And I love how radical she is because that's actually very true to my nature. You know, I'm an activist and a community organizer. And so I think Julie and Scott had a lot of fun, you know, building out the character when they met me and brought me on board because they were like, oh shit, Shakina's like really a lot like Lola. You know, mm -hmm. they had seen my, my solo show and, um, and they knew my comedy and they just, you know, they brought it and amped it was up. Was the show Manifest, uh, was that the Manifest one? Manifest Pussy, yeah. It, that's Can the I one say that... it on here? Can I say Pussy? Yeah. I think so. I was ready to say it. I was ready, Shakina. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, was that... That's <laughs> was Roddy's that word. What do you mean? Yeah, I love that word. <laughs> uh, what was... Was that what did it? Was that what brought you in? Or is that kind of how they saw no, your work? And I mean, they... No, I auditioned cold. You know, they didn't know me from anybody. They had this audition out. I had just gotten an agent um, and I had actually just gotten back to town from, you know, like I, recovering from my gender confirmation surgery. So I wasn't really even, I'd only been working for a couple months, sort of like getting back onto the scene, still sort of trying to introduce myself as an actor because I was mostly working as a director. And, um, and I knew, I felt good because I got this audition and I went in and I did the audition and, and you know, TV acting, they always tell you, you have to keep things really like mellow and kind of cold mm. and, and you don't want to do anything too big for the camera because it might be distracting so I did my audition <laughs> and then the casting director was like you can be bigger and I was like I can be bigger I mean I'm a theater actor so tell me to be big and I'll be big you know <laughs> and so I did I did another take of the audition and I and I was just and I saw him cracking up behind the camera and I was like this is really good but then they didn't even actually cast me right away or give me like a traditional callback. They asked me to come in and meet with Julie and Scott, Scott King, who was the showrunner. So we had like, you know, a half hour conversation just about like my point of view on things. And then they were like, you know, can you stick around and do a table read of these two episodes, uh, uh, episodes um, two and three of season two, when my character is introduced and then the, the following one. And I was like, yeah, I could do a table read. Like, would love that. It sounds great. And then I go out and it's like Hulu executives, you know, um, like the producers of the show, the whole cast sitting around these tables. I sat next to Derek the first time I met him and I was so nervous. And then um, my character was introduced with one of those one-liner jokes and I like nailed it and everyone started cracking up. And I was like, okay. I'm going to get this job. Like it's going to work. And then it did. Oh, it's, I love that. It's so true yeah. to life too. And, and I love how like if an outsider watches this show, they may look at it as like, oh, the show has so much diversity, but then, and it does. But then it's like, I'm thinking about the seven years I lived in New York um, and I plan to be back soon. Um, I, you almost, when you watch it, you don't see that at all. It's just, it's just people, but people, yeah. on the right? That's well, my favorite part things. of it. Watching all these characters, they, there's no labels really on anyone. It's not like the token this person or the, they're just people being themselves. And you don't you don't see that very often in shows. You can always kind yeah. of pick a part where they're throwing in the diverse characters. And in this show, it was so just people. And that was yeah, one of my favorite things about watching it. 
well, that's what New York is like, you know, yep. that's New York City. And I know it sounds like so cliche, but people say in shows like Difficult People, you know, New York is a character in the show. And so that's part of the character of New York. And I don't yeah, think it's a cliche. The scene on the subway with the crickets and the, the homophobic protesters. I mean, I've seen some crazy. Natalie Joy Johnson screaming the at them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about L.A. versus New York. Well, because that's where Billy essentially mm. ends up wanting to go. Yeah. Um, I tend to hear all the commentary, New York and this, and, and it's like people are like, oh, well, L.A., you could have so many things. I'm like, but I want a life. And I grew up in Southern California, so maybe it's a little different. Growing yeah, up too. in Southern California. Oh, oh, nice. Um, mm. 310, you know, uh, still. Um, oh, I was in but, 714 and then uh, eventually the 949. Okay, she's moving. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, I never, whenever I hear something like that, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a silly trope that it's New York City. And I'm like, no, it's such a magical place. You know, when I moved there, I knew Kelly since we were, like I said, 23, 24, but I was always in the closet as a straight guy. And it took me till right before I moved to New York. I came out, went to New York and lived my best life. <laughs> and it just was the place for that, you know? And while... You know, that's obviously uh, that's not a big deal anymore. You know, back in the day, it seemed to be somewhat of a deal, at least for me. I was so nervous about it. But coming to New York, I was like, there's literally no nerves. You just do what you do. You paint the town red every yeah. night if you want to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. New York gives no fuck, you know, mm -hmm. um, but New York is ruthless and cruel, you know, where versus L.A. cares too much about everything. But it will be really nice to you while it slips your throat. You know, um, so that's sort of the difference between the two coasts, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I can say that because I came from Texas and I lived, I grew up in Texas, but then I lived in LA and I would go to New York a lot for work and like hang out with Ronnie and kind of, when I first went to New York, I was honestly like terrified of it. It was just so much. Big. And I, I, I mean, I thought LA was so much and then it was like, holy shit. It's like, LA yeah, but, on but you know, Kelly, the PR maven that she, she is and was, um, before you knew it, she was in New York dipping and doing and, and texting me pictures of Magnums. I mean, Kelly, Kelly knew how to move around in New York. <laughs> oh, I embrace that city full force and I love it. So good. Good. Get yeah. our head out, head out of the gutter. <laughs> Um, but, but you're right that was definitely one of the things that I saw is that when you were in New York people were either in your they were in your face about exactly how they felt there was no bullshit in LA right. everybody's real passive aggressive so it, that's it, right it, that's the New York's just aggressive yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yes or yes just aggressive in New York it's like fuck you get out of the way I don't care that's right <laughs> um do you, guys have, that. do you guys have any um other things to talk about in terms of um uh, what do you call it? The um, the trips that any of them took. Uh, oh, we have Arthur. Great. His trip is essentially mostly about realizing his purpose. Is that what we got out of that? I think so. That he that he works so hard at a job he hates because he likes to be able to support his partner. I think that's the lesson there for him. And what do you think it is for Billy? Billy, just, he wants to get the fuck out of New York. And he's like ready to go somewhere with, you know, ready to move on to the next chapter of his life um you know it, new york is represented by the terrible odd couple roommate he just doesn't fit there anymore and i think that was i mean i don't know but i know that what happened soon after was that billy moved to la and yeah i mean he, i think billy's probably pretty bicoastal at this point he, most of us aspire to that sort of existence working on both coasts but you know with billy in the street and everything like he really 
made a name for himself as this comedian of New York. But it is so hard and it is so miserable. And then it's like he was going to do The Lion King, you know? And so you go from doing this like basically indie sitcom on Hulu to a Disney film. It's like, yeah, let me go have a house and a car in Los Angeles, please. I'm sick of this studio apartment and this yeah, yeah. fourth floor walk up and pizza rat, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with LA when you're, when you're making it, you know, when the money's when real rich, good. LA's yeah, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm talking about as far as getting that energy, that motivation, even in the dark times, I think New York is just so great for that. I lived for in sure. Harlem mostly for about four years and then two years in Bushwick, uh, Ridgewood area. And it's just all of these memories feel like, was that only seven years? You know, it felt it right. felt like a lot longer. Um, anyways, I could gush about New York. Um, Kelly, did hmm. you have anything else to wrap about this episode? Uh, or, or should we just go into some questions with Shakina? I mean, the basic idea of the episode, for me at least, was that I love how everyone was confronting themselves. I mean, Matthew's whole trip was just totally Matthew. <laughs> was yeah. just, Matthew will always be Matthew, which is so much how we why we love that character. But everyone else is kind of confronting their inner selves and seeing the two versions of how they want life and, and coming to this realization. But one thing I have to point out was when Arthur and Marilyn came, finally came out of it, you know, the restaurant's back open. Oh. Nobody gave a shit. They walked all over them to get to their <laughs> Tables. But when they walk yeah. out of the restaurant, you see them hand in hand. And Marilyn's right. always been so critical of him that I love to see that even for a split second of their little camaraderie together. Absolutely. That was nice. Yeah, that was a big growth moment for those people. Yeah, definitely. Shakina, do you have any thinking back of all of these nonsense having moments with Matthew? What was yeah. one line that 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 let's see even Lola was just like, oh my gosh, you are trashed, <laughs> you know? What is just to something... Matthew to Matthew in specific? Yeah. Oh man, I mean, let me tell you, I used to stand behind that counter and um, I would take my thumb and like jam it into the corner of the counter until it hurt because I was trying so hard not to laugh. And even one time, the director, Jeffrey, was like, Shakina, you get to break one more time today and you don't get to break anymore. Like, because Cole would just make me laugh so much. He was so funny. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is funny because I think most of the, like, homophobic comments that Lola makes are directed to Billy, not to Cole, um, not, to, not to Matthew. Um, I'm trying to think if I can think of, like, one... Um, I mean, I love when Matthew's, Matthew finds out that his parents are dead and um, and he's like holding these urns and I just come, I'm like, if I have to listen to one more this person complain about their lives, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like I just, I, that was also improvised, but I just like love that I had total disregard for what he's going through. Lola was on it. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah. That was good. <laughs> um, what do you think Lola would be now? If the show went on, where would you want to see uh, the character grow? Well, you know, she um, took over Dee's Cafe in the, in the next episode. Oh, sorry, to blow the cover <laughs> for spoilers for Studio 310. We've but, watched it. <laughs> okay, so Lola becomes the co-owner of Dee's Cafe in the final episode. So I imagine if she owns this um, cafe, then I would sort of be interested to see, like, you know, if we were talking about, like, pandemic life, you know, how she turned it into, like, a hub of organizing for, like, um, trans lives oh. matter black lives matter and i would imagine that she would have made it like a radical compound um during <laughs> during um the lockdown and like forced matthew to do all these food deliveries um <laughs> and <laughs> yeah i you know i mean we just we need lola so 
so bad right now with all of the anti-trans laws going on across the state and the ways that that politics are attacking trans kids and you know yeah. um, criminalizing healthcare. I mean, Lola would take no prisoners and especially like finding out at the end that she actually has like a lot of wealth and is like investing in makeup and surveillance free mascara and like all this you know like she could really have grown into um like a, a radical anti-establishment empire and um and I would love to see that brand like what happens when that becomes a brand I'm really curious what was that reaction like in terms of you know feedback you know um not necessarily in, in you know your colleagues but you know I'm sure people tweeted you or oh, yeah. wrote, DM'd you, maybe even younger. Uh, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of kids. Yeah, well, it's mixed because like I said, Lola doesn't follow like the identity politics of the day. Like she's the character. My personal humor is is not like afraid to venture into territory that a lot of the trans community like tries to hold as taboo. Um, and I'm more about like, put it all out there, demystify things. So the talk about like bodies and stuff like that, like Lola making a joke about her dick size, like that stuff that like a lot of the people in trans community actually found really objectionable. And mm. people people were on social media were like, I hate this character. All she can talk about is being trans. And I'm like, that's because that's all I can talk about, you know? Um, but but more than those people who were sort of like, you know, critiquing the way that the, the reputation that she upheld for the trans community or whatever, so many people felt like she was speaking for them and not just trans people but just like of all the shit talkers on difficult people Lola is like the most extreme and so I think people found a lot of like you know courage and motivation from her and you know I don't know it's hard to say like did it help trans youth I don't know like are trans kids watching difficult people I don't know but um but but like putting it all out there and trying to, you know, make humor out of something that can be in a lot of ways really difficult and really painful um, when we're talking about, you know, discrimination. It's like every, every um, like hole you can put in the dam weakens the structure that, you know, supports transphobia and anti-trans aggression. So um, I took my shots where I could, you know, and I continue to do that in all the work that I do. Now, colleagues did or, you know, people that are in the business also did take note, not just the, the fan base and Twitter, because you, if I'm if I know this correctly, um, the Soloways found you and, and basically assessed you for that that musical episode of Transparent by by your work. Correct. How did that how did that work out? Yeah. You know, I don't even know how that worked out. I, <laughs> um, I, I think I can trace it to a benefit that I sang at for um the Gender Family Project, which is a nonprofit in New York City that does work that's really like leading the country in terms of supporting families with trans kids. And they were doing a benefit and I sang my song, Where You from Manifest Pussy, which is a song by Julian McDavis about the first time that I ever wore a dress at a Super Bowl party when I was six um, in the 80s. And that's a really beautiful song. And afterwards, um, that benefit that Gala was honoring the Soloways and Faith Soloway was there. And she came up to me and she was like, oh, I'm writing a musical of Transparent. And I was like, sure you are because everyone's writing a fucking musical in New York, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and Transparent, like, you know, at the time I was like, I didn't give a shit about that show. Just an old straight man, old cis guy in a dress. You know what I mean? It didn't speak to me. I watched it, but I always kind of like was like, 
you know, a oh, little okay. sassy. So, um, so I was sort of like team critique when it came to that show. Um, and then, you know, Faith reached out to me about this musical and I was like, all right, sure. And then they were doing a concert of it at Joe's Pub, which is where I do my solo shows often in New York. And they asked me to come sing the songs for the Mora character. And then I heard this music and I was like, dang, this is really good. And when I got the opportunity to like give voice to the character as a trans woman giving voice to a trans character, I was like, this feels great. And that was before they knew that there was gonna be a movie musical. It was just thinking that maybe they would make a stage musical based off the, off the, off the TV show. And then I still had to audition for season five, which ended up being the movie musical. I auditioned for that. And it, and it was really obscure because sometimes when they're auditioning secret things, they change all the names. And so you get, you get like two pages of a script and it doesn't make any sense, but you're like, I think I know what's going on here. And so, yeah, they brought me on. And then because I run this company in New York City, I, I started this organization called Musical Theater Factory where I work with uh, you know, early career artists to develop new musicals. And it's now under you know, a different uh, artistic leader, but I'm still on the board. And I, I started this org and I said to Joey, Joey and Faith, I said, um, why don't y'all come out to Musical Theater Factory and we can work on this for a week. And so the whole original cast of Transparent came to, uh, minus Jeffrey, of course, came to my theater company in New York City and we worked on it for a week to figure out like, okay, what is the story? What is, what is the show? What are these characters? Including the, the actors who play the fake Pfeffermans in the oh, finale. Yeah. And, um, and after that week, I said to Joey, I was like, you know, if you want me to like join the writing or producing team, like I'd be down. And so they brought me on as a writer and eventually as a producer. And that's how I kind of got all over that movie. What an interesting time because the show did have some some issues. You know, we don't need to speak about them per se. But I remember watching the show. I wasn't early to it either. Um, I watched it like maybe uh, season two and then just followed it. But then when all sure. when all what had happened had happened, you're kind of left with like, but I still love the characters. You start to just love them. Judith yeah. Light, I mean, to shell and back. Yeah, I mean, it's you wanted something uh, as an ending. And so for you to step in in that way and contribute uh, I just thought it was great. So that's transparent on Amazon. Uh, watch the last episode because it's brilliant. Um, yeah, the musicality finale. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're wrapping out now. Last thoughts from everyone. I'll start with you, Kelly. Last thoughts on either Shekinah, Shekinah or the episode in general. I mean, we are so happy that you made time to come and chat with us today. I mean, I think yeah. everything that you've done in the community and in the show, and I hope now that the show has got a new audience in Australia that, you know, more people are, are discovering it and, and coming and seeing what great characters that you guys have brought to life. And hopefully we can see more of Lola in the world and, and reflect it in other characters. But thank you again so much. I mean, I love all of your stuff and I'm so looking forward to the more things that you do. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with y'all. I love that you are doing this um, podcast so that people who are encountering difficult people now have a place to go to for like fresh takes on it. Um, and I, I would say to all the difficult people fans out there, like don't give up hope on some sort of reboot reunion thing because those things are like crowd demanded, you know, and mm. So many people, like I get messages all the time about how, you know, we miss difficult people. We wish there were another season or something. So just like keep sharing the love because like people, you know, it matters. People notice that sort of thing. And if you love these characters, you know, there are so many memes and gifts. So just, you know, keep, 
keep uh, sharing the difficulty. <laughs> Uh, my last thoughts will be that thank you for sharing um, some stories along that journey. Um, I can't imagine how overwhelmed in a good way that you felt going into it, oh uh, just wanting to be such a kick-ass performer. And then it, it, you know, now that we're through it, you know, it's the shows years ago that you look back at such a body of work that was freaking fun and funny and made you squirm and all the things. And it's just, it's quite beautiful. Um, and I would say that too. Yeah. Like let's talk it up, you know, whether it's a difficult people movie, you know, just a, just a one-off or a syndication. Yeah. I think a lot of people are really taken to this humor and there's other shows like this to a degree. I would say, I think a lot of people now really like the other two, which is also very funny, but yeah. um, we're just in a time where, and I think this, this happens every time I turn on my phone, Twitter and Instagram, they're telling me, that everything's so so amazing so amazing so amazing and then everything's so shitty so shitty so shitty i thought this show gave both you know and yeah. it's, it's the dialogue i needed um dang we're done thank you so much, <laughs> yeah, so um, much fun. thank you for having th this me this was 309 sweet tea uh we have shakina and uh what what a what a brilliant experience um kelly that's it for us what do you think yes i love it i have one more episode left and you know and we might have to do it all over again <laughs> do it all over again okay shakina thank you keep up the good work oh last question for thank you. you yeah artistry when you're art when you think of your artistry Ooh. Ooh. Um, was there what was the source of that motivation was was there a source of you wanted your voice to be heard was there a source of you wanted your physical body to move through the creation um what was it about artistry and what at what age did it speak to you you know i've been doing this a long time um since high school i've been out queer and visible and vocal. And I think what motivates me is knowing the struggles that I went through and wanting to make a world where um, other folks don't have to go through what I went through. And so I, I do what I do to make the world a better place, you know, um, sometimes through comedy, sometimes through drama or song or whatever. But I've always believed that I put my personal stuff into the public forum because somewhere someone is watching and going through the same thing and they will feel less alone. Love it. Shakina, people aren't writing nice uh, comments on us at on Apple. They're not writing anything <laughs> at all, actually. So I want you to say what would be your Apple comment on our podcast? We're going to let Shakina be the to, to lead the charge. Voice. These dummies, they, don't, they, they listen and watch but they don't write anything good. They don't write anything bad either, but they don't write anything good. Shakina, can you help them out? Help them out and say what a good comment is because me and Kelly want to quit half the time. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this and you haven't left a comment yet um, and you're all the, way, all the way to episode 309, you're a shit face. So first of all, make leave a fucking comment because you've listened to like nearly 30 hours of these two going through this show. So leave a comment and say something like, difficult people is the best show on television. And now I'm seeing it with a whole new eyes because of this brilliant fucking podcast. Just listen there to her. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Shakita, thank you. I think I said a whole new eyes though. So maybe just like either a new eye or new eyes, but not a whole new eyes. Cause that makes Give sense me all the eyes. Give me all the yeses. All and the eyes. Blessings for us yeah, three. 
with whatever casting projects we all have, uh, we hope we continue to send all three of us and everyone who loves difficult people and anyone who's had a journey. This is what this show is about. We got to go. Thank you, Shakina. Bye. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.